Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Hundreds of Cubans who took part in those street protests across the Caribbean nation, waving the flags, chanting freedom, chanting I am not afraid. Well, they're in jail now, and nobody knows where they are. Their families can't speak to them. There are no charges in most cases. Excuse me, they're just being detained by the police. Uh, Cuban police have arrested an estimated 500 demonstrators and activists. Uh, the conditions are nasty. Uh, families are lining up outside detention centers to figure out if their loved ones are there and to deliver clothing, toiletries, and food because there's no guarantee they'll be fed or anything like that. Uh, it is a repressive, totalitarian, socialist regime, and it is absolutely ugly. Uh, let's go ahead with, uh, this is Toulouse Alon, how do you pronounce his name? Alorunipa? Or something like that on CNN. He's one of their go-to panelists. Uh, in clip 25, please, 25. The progressive wing of, of the Democratic Party does not want to go hard uh, against Cuba, against um, some of the things that uh, the Castro regime may have been a part of, in part because there are some Democrats, there are some progressives who, who uh, agree with some of those things. They agree with universal health care. They agree with some of the programs that were in place in a more socialist kind of uh, society. And uh, Joe Biden is trying to push against that. He's essentially trying to say, you know, we do not want our party to head in that direction because he saw what happened in South Florida in 2020. Right. Yeah, they, they, the Democrats got their butts whooped, pr- primarily because there are so many Cuban-Americans who hear the promises of socialism and say, oh, no, 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 because we know where that goes. Which brings us to the question of socialism and communism and how one leads to the other and whether it has to or not. I am a firm, firm, firm believer that socialism always leads to totalitarianism. It just has to. Because if you're going to have everything organized by the government, by the bureaucrats, the central planners who will manipulate industries and and redistribute income, the rest of it, there are going to be certain numbers of people who say, no, this is unjust, this is wrong, this is immoral, I, I would rather have liberty, and you can't have that, or the system doesn't work. You have to beat them into submission to bring them this alleged worker's paradise. If we have to hang a thousand kulaks, that's uh, the famous uh, Lenin letter, that was unearthed at some point where they were going around hanging farmers to try to get everybody to uh, go along with socialism. It'll work. We just might have to murder a whole bunch of people to get it to work. Right. And the fantasy is that you'll find human beings so wise and noble and strong that they will gain that control over everything. Because, again, you can't have a centrally planned uh, society where you allow dissent or it falls apart. But but we're going to find human beings so wise and benevolent and strong that they can be trusted with that sort of enormous power in this system. They won't and, take more than their fair share. Right. They're, they're, you know, who's the richest person in Venezuela? Hugo Chavez's niece or daughter or somebody or something. I can't remember his girlfriend. Anyway, oh, and two. Yeah, they're not going to funnel the very limited, the increasingly limited uh, goods and services to their friends and cronies. Of course not. Just because it's happened every single time it's been tried doesn't mean it'll happen next time. Which in turn brings us to Orwell, who I'm fascinated by George Orwell. I, I would like to quit this stinking dead-end job and, and devote the rest of my life to studying George Orwell and reading everything he ever wrote because he was a dedicated socialist. I don't know if you knew that. 
in the point of much of his writing, Jack, feel free to agree, disagree, or amend. Uh, the point of much of his writing was showing his so- socialist brethren what the hazards were in their system and how they had to avoid them. George Orwell, just like Vin Scully. And who do you think is the richest person in Venezuela? The daughter of Hugo Chavez. Hello. Anyway, 0-2. We need more of that out of Major League Baseball. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Some good red meat conservatism at the ballpark. How about instead of, you know, you got a little, there are a lot of lulls in baseball. That's what makes a great announcer great. You know, filling in the lulls instead, instead of, you know, uh, by the way, we'd like to remind you that Jim's Ford, Jim's Ford, always there for you when you need a Ford. You know, less of that and more, uh, condemning socialism. (laughs) Right. And who do you think is the richest person in Venezuela? The daughter of Hugo Chavez. Hello. Anyway, 0-2. That one's high. It's going out of play. It's a foul ball. It's a 1-2. AOC claims to be a socialist. She's raised $75 million in the last three weeks and is funneling that to her friends and relatives. And here's the pitch. And Guevara steps off the mound to talk to the manager. Uh, you remember Lenin's letter in which he talked about hanging a thousand kulaks. To make socialism work anyway, Owen oh, 2. Remember, anyway. Owen oh, 2. <laughs> Remember, a baseball team needs a manager, but an economy doesn't. Anyway, here's to the free market. Here's the pitch. So the, 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 I, I, and, and this could be a lack of understanding hello. of Orwell because, <laughs> hello, uh, because I haven't quit this dead end job to study Orwell, but he seems to me to have a remarkable blind spot because he's so brilliant and he foresaw so many things so clearly. And he was such a keen observer of humankind, yet he still thought yeah. central planning could be pulled off. Very confusing to me also. But here's a great a great quote for him. And I wonder I wonder if late in his life he began to despair about it. Anyway, he said the only thing for which we can combine is, uh, come together is the underlying ideal of socialism, justice and liberty. But it's hardly strong enough to call this ideal underlying. It's almost completely forgotten. It's been buried beneath layer after layer of doctrinaire priggishness, party squabbles, and half-backed progressivism until it's like a diamond hidden under a mountain of dung. The job of socialists is to get it out again. Justice and liberty. Those are the words that have got to ring like a bugle across the world. I'd love to sit down with George, though, and say... How how can you have liberty and socialism in the same place? Yeah, I don't know. And uh, one of the greatest lovers of Orwell, writer, thinker, Christopher Hitchens, who wrote a book about Orwell, Why Orwell Matters. It's a pretty good book. Christopher Hitchens stayed a um, at least a Trotskyist and somewhat of a socialist his entire life, even though he's got a chapter in his book in which he went to Cuba, uh, I think in the 60s as a young man, Part of the whole, you know, workers of the world unite went there to see the workers paradise. And uh, he talks about how as soon as he got off the plane, they took his passport and he thought, wait a second, why are you taking my passport? And quickly realized uh, what an what an awful situation Cuba was. And it was not even close to the workers paradise he was hoping for. There was no freedom. There was no freedom of thought. There was no free speech. There was no free writing. There was no nothing. Yeah. Hello. But uh, now, some some of these really smart people continue to believe if it were just implemented properly, it would work. Well, yeah, how this, is that ever going to happen if you believe in human nature? If you've spent your life obsessing over this stuff like we have, this is old hat. But if you haven't, it's really it's quite a good metaphor. It's it's referred to as the the horse and rider 
um, uh, conundrum or, or point of view of socialism. Socialists, uh, central planners from AOC to, to Barack Obama to Bernie, uh, Bernard Sanders, uh, and, and others like them. They Bernard Sanders. The horse <laughs> of socialism. <laughs> Why is that clip so funny? Is it, it's got to be the old time like tone of the guys. Like, I don't back know. when all announcers sounded like that. Bernard Sanders, Phil Donahue with his giant glasses. Exactly. Bernard Sanders. Anyway, the point of view is that the horse of socialism is a fine horse. We've just had the wrong riders. Mm-hmm. Lenin and Marx and well, Lenin and and, and Trotsky and and, uh, and uh, Stalin, wrong riders. Castro, wrong rider. Hugo Chavez, wrong rider. Wow. We just Mao, Mao, well, every single friggin' one of them was just the wrong rider. But if we can manage it right, we can handle that sort of power and control. And we'll do it right this time. Just trust us. We'll, we'll get rid of, of inequity. We'll get rid of income inequality. Watch we'll, me. We'll get rid of high class and low class. Just trust us. Then they run the horse into the ditch and kill a bunch of people every single damn time. Armstrong and Getty. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. I got my pants on. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So maybe this is as good a place to fit this in as anywhere. I just came across this uh, recently. Um read Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf. It's one of those books that they make you read in high school or college or something. I don't know if I did or not. If I did, it never made an impact me on me at the time. But at my current age, it did. New York Times has a thing in their book review section where they ask people, what are books you should read before you're 40? What are books you shouldn't read until after you're 40? Which I'd never really considered before, but it's clearly true. Clearly true that there are uh, there are things that they make you read in college that they have no impact on you because you haven't had the life experience. You haven't had kids. You haven't grown old. You haven't, you haven't, you just haven't had the life experience to get into them. And then there are other books. Like I tried reading some Jack Kerouac at my current age, you know, a few years ago. And it just seems stupid to me. It seems <laughs> self-indulgent stupid. And it was like really deep and meaningful to me when I was like 29. Huh. Just, you know, just where you are yeah. in life, I guess. Yeah, sure. Of course. But anyway, so this is from Mrs. Dalloway. Now, you got to keep in mind that they're talking about people being in their 50s. This was written in 1925, I think. Back then, being in your 50s was more like being in your 70s now. So you need to recognize that. I mean, the whole 60s is the new 40s for real. My mom talks about it all the time. She said, when I was young, somebody 60 was in an old folks' home. Wow. That's just, just you know. Com- Good Lord. Combination of health, attitudes, you know, starting adulthood, you know, you were married and had kids when you were 20, so just a lot of things were different. So excuse the age he is in this. Think more of like a 70-year-old than a 53-year-old. Because I often, I often, I don't want to sound cruel here, but I often see old people and I think, what gets you out of bed in the morning? And I wonder about that for myself, like when I'm that age. What's going to get me out of bed when I'm 75? What 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 do I enjoy? What do I look forward to? I mean, do you spend all? I, I, it doesn't seem like it being around my parents or other old people. It doesn't seem like you spend all your time thinking everything sucks now. Everything that's good happened before, and everything sucks in my life now. And people don't do that, but I can't quite understand why. Human they don't connections. Feel that way. 
you know, it's about uh, the people you care about, I guess. Well, this is the, I came across this explanation, I think, in Mrs. Dalloway that I think explains it. And, 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 and I hope this is the direction that it goes for me and it must go for most people. I'll read this best I can. It's about one of the characters in the book. A terrible confession it was, he put on his hat again. But now, at the age of 53, one scarcely needed people anymore. Opposite of what Joe just said. People scarcely needed people anymore. Life itself, every moment of it, every drop of it, here this instant, now in the sun, in Regent's Park, was enough. Too much, indeed. A whole lifetime was too short to bring it out. Now that one had acquired the power, the full flavor, to extract every ounce of pleasure, every shade of meaning, which both were so much more solid than they used to be, and so much less personal. Now, I've read, a, I've watched a couple of long explanations of what that just that paragraph means. And uh, you know, if you're older, maybe you can uh, chime in on the text line uh, whether or not this has been for you. Um, that you reach an age, or it happens gradually over time, I suppose. To where you start to notice the world around you more than you ever did with you taken out of the mix. Because when we're younger, it's all about us. Sure. And by younger, I mean up until like age 70. But uh, it's all about us. Everything's how it affects us. You know, how is this good for me, bad for me, or whatever? And what he's explaining right there is it's not personal anymore. It's just observing the world. I'm just floating around in the world. I'm no longer, it no longer matters to me because most of my life has been lived. And there's just so much richness to the world here once I've extracted myself from it, which is kind of the opposite of what you might think. But Hmm. once you take your own needs and personality and everything out of it, and you just observe humans and things and beasts and buildings and traffic and everything like that, that life becomes very rich and very interesting. I find that fascinating. Uh, I hope that that's the experience I have. That would explain to me um, how you can be quite old and still get a lot out of life. That's the first time yeah. I've ever seen explained that way anywhere in fiction or nonfiction. Interesting thought. I used to regularly describe this uh, radio show as a trip to the human zoo. <laughs> right. Maybe just watching the human zoo or uh, the regular zoo with animals or just, just watching the world be what it is. Without the, the freaking filter that is self, which is what yes. dominates us through so much of our lives, um, our, you know, need to be loved, liked, respected, envied, whatever it is that drives us to buy things and do things and strive for this or that. But once that is done, according to this anyway, um, uh, Virginia Woolf, who you got to remember killed herself. Um, <laughs> so maybe it wasn't working so well for her. Um, uh, that that's just what you get out of the world. I don't know. Agree or disagree? Any thoughts on that text line? 415-295-KFTC. Gave me something to look forward to. 415. Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. 415-295-KFTC. I was just going to say I was, I'm, I'm thinking about the don't need people anymore. What, what exactly was that line? He was I, walking I, out of a party and just how, and, and the party was all about, the other stuff we were talking about, self, is all about right. status and who knew who and who was wearing what and who drove what and all that crap that mm-hmm. dominates so much of your life. Yeah. And he had reached yeah. the age where just none of that crap mattered anymore. Yeah, that I absolutely get. And that's not what I was talking about. I was talking about real you know, connections between humans who care about each other and bring each other joy. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the point you don't give a damn about making any more money or a career or to some extent who's in office, depending you know, on the politics of the time. 
Um, yeah, that's interesting. Of course, that's good stuff. Literature, you say. That mm-hmm. author, Virginia Woolf, put heavy rocks in her pockets and walked out into a river when she was in her late 50s. So, Well, I think it's possible to have wisdom and insight and also uh, crushing depression. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't think the two are mutually no, exclusive. No, no, absolutely not. She did it on purpose, right? She just didn't oh, forget yeah. they were in her pocket. No, and... no, she did no, it on purpose. She just liked to carry rocks around in her pockets, and she liked to take walks in the ocean. never occurred to her not to do both at once. She left a note for her husband that said, I don't think anybody, any marriage has ever been happier than ours. I'm sorry I'm doing this to you, but I just can't go on anymore and put heavy rocks in her pockets and walk down into a river. Boy, this is a cheery little story you got here. It's a heck of a thing, though, isn't it? Yes, yes, up, and it's made me sad. Who comes up with that idea? Thanks for making me sad. You don't have to be sad. You're not going to do it. I know I don't have to be sad. I am sad. Okay. Don't tell me how to be. <laughs> now I'm angry. Don't tell me not to be angry either. That would make me sad again. How about a little transition music, Michael? What is this? Transition music. I've never heard this one. It's making me forget what we were talking about, which is the point. <laughs> All right. Is that the tunnel scene from Willy Wonka? <laughs> that uh, that gave me dread. The back of my neck is sweating. I feel like I'm about to get knifed by a clown. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. What's, what's happening? What's happening? <laughs> Mannequins are walking. Wait <laughs> <laughs> <Play it> again, <laughs> Michael. <laughs> That's right. That's too much. Too much. If somebody's half asleep somewhere, they're gonna be they're gonna wet their bed. (laughs) That music was terrifying. Armstrong and Getty. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. But resist, we must. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Stoners at Amazon! Oy, so you're fired up about this, huh? No. Your package could end up in, in, in Dubuque. They're so high. Oh, you ordered. Unless you're in Dubuque. That's a poor uh, example. You ordered pencils and they send you a book because the guy's stoned. I'm just stoned. Ah, oh, listen to that. Amazon said Tuesday it'll stop testing job seekers for marijuana. Well, because you don't know if they got high three days ago or uh, on their way in. The second largest private employer in the United States. Behind who? Who's the biggest private employer in the United States? Walmart? Walmart is correct. Mm. Uh, but Amazon is second. Is making the change as states legalize uh, marijuana. It just obviously needs to happen. It can't be legal to smoke pot in your state, but you won't hire anybody who does that. That makes no sense whatsoever. They will develop a test at some point to figure out whether you're stoned. You know, Currently if you're stoned, stoned, yeah, if you're stoned on the job, that's no good. Bring up Taco Bell and see how quickly the other person says it's a good idea. That's your test. <laughs> but I've, I've never taken a test at work to see if I'm drunk. It's just your behavior that, in spite of my urging management to <laughs> conduct one, it's your behavior. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Nothing. Answer Not- that, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they need, do they need a test at work? You know, I, this may shock you. I actually, uh, I smoked the, the hippie cabbage at one point. I was abducted by uh, armed lunatics who forced me to. And I actually, there were times that I did not feel like 100% sharp the next morning either. Well, and if so, I was doing but, some sort of job that depended on sharpness. Worse than being hungover? I've, I've done this job and many others so hungover I can barely stand. <laughs> well, luckily, nothing's at stake here, really. <laughs> we're, not, 
We're not manufacturing surgical implements here. <laughs> Hand me the scalpel. Wait a minute. This is a spoon. This is as dull as a spoon. Is, is being hungover from pot worse in terms of being productive than being hungover from booze? I don't know the answer. Oh, to that gosh, I don't know. My it's experience would be no. No. Okay. My abduction was many years ago. Similar? No, not even close. Okay. Uh, depends how hungover you were in either scenario. But anyway, uh, speaking of Amazon, as they say in Britain, I found this uh, story interesting on its own. And then as an example of what Jack was talking about yesterday, the uh, what you call it thing, the uh, Goodhart law, where once, Sean, please. Uh, when a measure becomes a target, it ceases to become a good measure. Right. Or it ceases you, to be a good measure. You gain the system to just try to hit that target. And you and human nature apparently is you will do things that are counterproductive for the company sure. or the organization yeah. to reach that target. And, and the great divide, I think, is do you understand how people really behave or do you live in a dream world where they'll behave the way you think they should behave? It's former realism, but the story is Amazon had the policy that managers are expected to, either voluntarily or through termination, get rid of a specific number of employees every year. They call it the unregretted attrition rate. Um, and measuring it can be an important tool for helping managers gain perspective. If a manager knows it's normal to lose a certain percentage of employees each year, they're going to think, all right, who are our 90% best? Mm-hmm. And we're going to keep them. Look at the other side of the coin, if you like. The problem, though, is that's not what what's happening. Instead, managers are hiring people they otherwise wouldn't or shouldn't just so they can later fire them to hit their goal, which completely defeats sure. the point. Obviously, since if the metrics based on sound business principles, there are people keeping their jobs who shouldn't at the expense of sacrificial lambs. If you want to incentivize your managers to a specific goal, it's got to be that specific goal. It's got to be productivity. You can't have an artificial measure. People will game the system to meet that goal. Graduation rates was an example we used earlier. There was some talk of a coronavirus baby boom. Well, if everybody stay at home, there's going to be so many more babies. I've always thought that sort of thing is just so stupid. (laughs) I mean... Is that the way you all plan your families? Just whenever you get around to doing it? (laughs) When and how many kids you have? (laughs) If there were no effective methods of birth control or you didn't believe in it, then okay, maybe. Maybe, but not even then. You know, we got enough kids, so we're not going to do this again or or whatever. Um, But, well, it turns out that is a dumb idea. Initial stats show a significant drop. In December 2020, births compared to a year earlier. America has entered a pandemic-inspired baby bust. Several states that keep track of births in near real time, as well as a number of hospitals, recorded significant drops in December 2020 birth rates compared to the same period a year ago, including Florida down 8%, Ohio down 7%, Arizona down 5%. 8% is a significant drop. That's huge. Well, and, and isn't this, uh, doesn't this ring true to everybody? I know cr- various creative artists. I ask them, you, you writing, you working on anything? And everybody's like, no, I just don't feel like it. Can't play any shows. I, don't, I just don't feel like it. Hmm. And, you know, I, I think that malaise, cause come on now, Jimmy Carter, there is no doubt a lot of the world is feeling the COVID malaise. It's a fun suck. 
This is a bad situation, said a sociologist and and demographer for the University of Maryland. The declines we're seeing now are pretty substantial. Um, Hmm. Clearly. Also drops in Google searches for pregnancy and sex-related topics. There's a drop in Google searches for sex-related topics. That's the dumbest piece of information I've ever heard. Yeah, I don't think you need to go that deep. If babies aren't being born, <laughs> the rest of it's just details. Yeah. People make long-term decisions when they have confidence about the future, and if there's anything that undermines confidence about the future, it's the massive pandemic. Yeah, I think it's more of a people in the modern world, for the most part, plan families when and how many kids they're going to have. And now is, you know, if you were thinking about it, why would you jump into it now? We don't have any idea what the hospital is going to be like. We don't have any idea. I mean, baby showers, just why? Schools aren't open. Well, and and not to get overly uh, poetic about it, but I just think passions have been cooled for a lot of things during the vid. I always want to do it. Same level of doing it. Oh, boy. Wow. I always want to. Nothing's going to cool my passions. I'm, I'm sorry, Joe. You mentioned passions. He brings up doing it. Yeah, yes. I mean, come on. We're 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 talking romance. We're talking the Shakespeare of the airwaves over here. I want to do it. I still want to do it. You want to do it? <laughs> wow. Whatever yeah, happened to seduction? Just... Yeah. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> thank you, brother. But just there's this just this, 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 this shadow of blah and uh yeah and ugh is over yeah. everything. Yeah. That's the way I feel. Yeah. Mailbag. <laughs> That's right, our freedom-loving quote of the day from the great historian writer Shelby Steele. Conservatism is the perfect antidote to underdevelopment. Its commitment to individual responsibility, education, hard work, personal initiative, traditional family values, and free markets is a universal formula for success in a free society. And don't let the woke fools tell you it ain't. Because it is. Says me. Michael, I'm going to ask for a transmission from this jaunty tune to the traditional Armstrong and Getty music for the haiku. Oh, the dumbest of all poetry. Gosh, I needed some structure. Oh, jeez. A note from Cody. Gentlemen, I'm listening to the podcast for Monday. Right in the intro, you talked about poetry, and I realized I missed you doing haikus. Oh, man. Well, Cody, we'd be delighted to accommodate you. The beautiful Japanese art of the haiku, the five syllables, the seven to five. Sean, would you agree it's the very limitations that sets the artist free? Without the restraints, there is no creativity. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I told my wife as I put the hey fur handcuffs on her. Hey, hey. <laughs> What now? All right, here's the haiku. <clears throat> Haiku's anger, Jack. This is reason enough, friends, to bust them out. What? Word. <laughs> he almost jumped in. There's only four syllables. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> the beautiful Japanese art of the haiku. Moving along to the correspondence proper. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, this is Joe, the consultant. Uh, positive Sean's ridiculous mascot bracket analysis has a higher accuracy percentage than my brother-in-law's actually meticulously thought out bracket. He plays, pays close attention to college basketball. Watching him melt down was particularly hilarious. Uh, WJLHCJLP with Jesus like hair comes Jesus likes power. Not to them, <laughs> no, Joe. No, 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 that's not cool, Joe. No, no, not the this, Bible! especially not this close to Easter. I'm much yeah. more Samson than anything. There you go. Yeah, Nobody's offended yeah. by that. Exactly. 
Uh, let's see. Joe, you guys came up with the real reason for illegal immigration 20 years ago on your show. Yeah. And, uh, Nate, we haven't forgotten it either. Uh, well, his explanation of it, which is our explanation of it, is uh, we our birth rate is declining uh, rapidly in the United States. We are not replacing our population uh, quickly enough to prop up the Ponzi scheme that is Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. We don't have enough young workers for all the old folks, and so we've had to import uh, brown people uh, from Central America to pay into Social Security. And nobody's going to prop it up the scam. And if that's what's going on, nobody's going to say that out loud. Right. Plus, the right needs the, wants the cheap labor. The left wants what they perceive to be probable Democratic voters. And so the powerful really have no incentive to end this. Plus, having it as an issue is a great fundraiser. Oh, yeah. Absolutely true. Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong and Joe Getty. I forewarned you. Let's go, Brandon. The Armstrong and Getty Show. From the Meet the New Boss, same as the Old Boss Department, I've got a great story. What are you threatening with, with, with Sean, if we run out of material? Uh, I've got the 10 best Star Wars villains ranked, and they have no. General Grievous at number 10. <laughs> no. He uses lightsabers, and he took out Jedi's this segment looks pretty solid, so just rest easy. Next one, a little shaky, though, so don't give up hope. So the um, <laughs> publisher of the Washington Post did a long opinion piece yesterday on the meet the new boss, same as the old boss, really going after the Biden administration hard. Publisher of the Washington Post, Fred Ryan, slimed, slammed, not slimed, Slammed the Biden administration in an opinion piece published for seeking email records belonging to journalists, calling its action an unprecedented assault on American news organizations. Oh, yeah, I read about this. It is pretty troubling. You have not heard this because it's not him going after Trump. Trump with the, uh, you know, all the uh, going after the media and how dangerous it was and people crying tears on MSNBC. He's the new Hitler. He's the new Hitler. And the Biden administration is doubling down on a lot of this. Um. Uh, bah, 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 bah. Well, you remember the Obama administration did stuff like this yes. as well, and yes. was incredibly not transparent. Yes, the press their lap dogs just lip licked their heels. Um. So Ryan, the publisher of the Washington Post, writing about how the the Trump administration had gone after the phone records of some journalists, and uh, and there was a real pushback against that. And evil. Yeah, they're Trump trying was, to figure out who was receiving leaks. Uh, Trump is like Hitler. We heard over and over again, and Biden said that he would not allow this sort of thing that was un-American. Fred Ryan of the Washington Post writes, however, the egregious acts by the outgoing Trump Justice Department and the apparent doubling down on them during the Biden administration should alarm all Americans, regardless of political persuasion. Ryan said the actions of the former administration and the subsequent expansion under the Biden administration posed a threat to Americans' ability to keep powerful officials in check. Hmm. It's an interesting question, and, and I'd love to, as, to assemble a panel of really smart and ethical people to discuss. Okay, if there are illegal leaks happening um, from government officials, and they are going to journalists, is there a legitimate, where does, where does the, uh, where does the balance lie, the proper balance between the proper investigation of illegalities that betray the trust of the American people, by the way, 
and the First Amendment, protection for the free press. That is an interesting topic, and it's got nuances. It's not, uh, you know, open and shut to me. But it should be treated the same way when Biden's doing it as when oh. Trump is doing it. Heck, yeah. And my tendency is I'm noodling it through kind of quick and dirty style is uh, you got to protect the free press. The free press is the uh, the penicillin for the, the, the infection of corrupt government. And we can't we can't play with that. In, in spite of the fact that they do a crappy, crappy job these days, at least a lot of them do. Bomb administration went after him. Trump administration went off after him. And now the Biden administration's going after him. An ongoing theme today will be what we were talking about uh, to some extent last segment, and that's ignoring the realities in front of our faces and why government officials do that. And there are a couple of reasons. Number one, there's just protecting them, covering their own butts. There's also naked self-interest, and I'm reminded of that. I'm going to talk about the bums and junkies. And the uh, the amount of money that's being budgeted to uh, to solve the homeless problem in various parts of America, and it's now running into the tens of billions of dollars. The one of the great Armstrong and Getty principles, eleven dash C, is that if money is spent, somebody's getting it. Who's getting it? What are they doing with it? Is it doing any good? Who's getting all this money? Why did you choose them? Right, right. I bring this up because a new report is out by the Bay Area Council. Now, this is the Bay Area of uh, California, one of the bum and junkie capitals of the world, along with Seattle, Portland, and L.A. And this uh, this think tank said it will take $11.8 billion dollars to uh, house every homeless person in the Bay Area. They're advocating spending $12 billion and then $2.5 billion a year to maintain the roofs over the heads of the 35,000 or so people. I assume this is with the assumption that not one single new homeless person will show up in the Bay Area, even though you've set out, you know, a bowl of food (laughs) to attract more homeless people. You've made it enormously comfortable and indeed lucrative to be a junkie or a bum. Uh, and yeah, yeah, you expect that number to stay the same. That's hilarious. It would be hilarious if it were not, you know, involving the theft of taxpayer money. I, I mentioned there's one bright spot, London Breed of, uh, San Francisco. She's the mayor. Um, it talked about the the huge amount of money she wants to pour into the problem, but she did also say that some of the money is going to be for enforcement. She said we can't have people on the street. Um, you either let's see where is the quote um, for those exhibiting harmful behavior, whether to themselves or to others, or those refusing assistance. We will use every tool we have to get them into treatment and services to get them indoors. We won't accept people just staying on the streets when we have a place for them to go. Like that? Right, indeed. That's a, a ray of hope. But this uh, this think tank that wants to spread around uh, $12 billion and then billions per year afterward are ignoring what Mike Kaufman, the uh, the mayor of Aurora, Colorado, wrote about, and we were sharing this with you the other day. There is no overlap, none, between the in-shelters trying to get back on their feet crowd and the tent city junkies. There's no overlap. 
They're different. The peop- they're different crowds that, yeah. for some reason, got the same name: homeless. Yeah, exactly. The tent city, drinking, drugging, fornicating, stealing crowd. They want to live a hippie lifestyle like that. With no uh, offense to our hippie friends. They want to live like that. They are not waiting for government assistance so they can get back on their feet. They're not desperate for some little apartment at $500,000 a unit, L.A. Um, they are doing what they want to do. And, you know, at least London Breed went ahead and admitted, yeah, there's some people don't want any help. They don't want any services. And we got to get them the hell off the street. And until we recognize that truth in front of our faces, we're going to continue to see our parks ruined, our business districts screwed up, you know, people crapping in the streets and the rest of it. You've got to recognize reality. And I know you've gone to city council meetings in liberal towns where they, they act like every single person who's right. not living in a 3,500-square-foot suburban home is, is a victim just, of our evil white supremacy capitalist system. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, anyway... Just the homeless industrial complex. It is the latest shiny object, the latest, you know, uh, what do they call it? The the sinkhole money pit to throw enormous amounts of money at because somebody gets that money. It's spreading dollars around to firm up coalitions and keep votes rolling in. It's as simple as that. Wake up. Armstrong and Getty. 